Today's teaching text comes from John 14, 15 through 24. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and um, will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but will, you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Very good to see you. You sounded really good singing from the front. I, uh, it's, it's nice being by the window and just noticing people come by uh, and on their Sunday, you know, walk to the park and just this worship is pouring out onto the sidewalk. And uh, it's, uh, it's beautiful to see that sort of register on people's, on people's faces. So uh, I want to begin this morning uh, with a poem. Uh, from Christian Wyman. Uh, you may have uh, read some of his poetry at some point. Um, uh, commend him to you. Great, uh, great writer. Uh, but the poem is called All My Friends Are Finding New Beliefs. And uh, I've given you the title, so if you want to go back and get another read of it uh, after the you know, service, you can. But I'm not going to put it on the screen, so we're going to pretend for a second like it's the 90s, and we're just going to listen carefully. All my friends are finding new beliefs. This one converts to Catholicism and this one to trees. In a highly literary and hitherto religiously indifferent Jew, God womps on like a genetic generator. Paleo, keto, zone, South Beach, bourbon. Exercise regimen so extreme she merges with machine. One man marries a woman 20 years younger, and twice in one brunch uses the word verdant. Another brick another's brick-fisted belligerence gentles into dementia, and one, after a decade of finical faints and teases like a sandpiper at the edge of the sea, decides to die. Priesthoods and beasthoods, sombers and glees, high-styled renunciations and avocations of dirt, sobrieties, satieties, pilgrimages to the very bowels of being. All my friends are finding new beliefs, and I am finding it harder and harder to keep track of the new gods and the new loves and the old gods and the old loves, and the days have daggers and the mirrors motives and the planets turning faster and faster and the blackness and my nights and my doubts and my friends, my beautiful, credible friends.
Wyman is giving voice in this poem to an experience that many of us have had. Someone close to us changes in what they believe about life, about the world, about politics, about their career, about God. These can, these can be inspiring changes. Um, they sometimes can feel to us like maybe they're unsettling changes. And as you hear, you, you might relate to the poet, you know, observing his, these changes in friends and those around him, or, or you might relate to the friends in, in the poem. You might actually be, you know, sitting here today in church and have great reluctance, uh, wondering whether you really still believe this stuff we're talking about and singing about. I don't know if you've heard, but deconstruction is, is having another moment. Um, it's, it's had some before. It seems like it, it's, it fluctuates. It's gone from an academic philosophy to a subversive trend, and in some cases like a 280-character cliche on Twitter. But if you're in the middle, if you're experiencing that, if you're in the middle of questioning everything or doubting some long-held belief, uh, it can be quite a disorienting process, no matter what the reputation of that process is. Often you can be simultaneously troubled in your heart and mind and also hopeful uh, for what a change might bring. Both of those things can happen in your heart at the same time. And the poet, Christian Wyman, is saying, for him, one of the things that holds together all these changes, as difficult as they are at times to keep track of, is that they're happening to his friends, the ones he calls his beautiful, credible friends. Because we know this from experience, right? An ideology, a political conviction, an extreme diet, a Twitter rant, a faith system may be easy to dismiss. It may be easy to shred with a critique. But it's something else when that thing comes to you in the gentleness of friendship. When you look in your friend's eyes and you say, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt that what your experience is is real to, to you. Even if I can't go there with you, what you're experiencing is is real. My beautiful, credible friends. And so this thing is not just an idea out there. This is someone across the table from me. This is someone who I embrace in love. I think it's a, an important poem for this moment. Many of us have felt dislodged from places that we once felt secure. Many of us uh, may have, feel disillusioned with communities that we once trusted. Um, the church, the church in our age, uh, as in all others, but in our age, has been flagrant in its inability to live fully in the way of Jesus. And so we can find examples of bad theology. We can find examples of bad practice, of, of hypocrisy, of, of humiliation, of scandal, of cover-ups. So if you want a reason not to believe. It's out there. I want to tell you really briefly from my heart this morning why I still do believe. And you're probably like, that's not a big shocker. You got the Britney Spears microphone on, you know, like you're up here to you know, give the sermon. 
But I want to tell you from my heart why I still believe. And I want to give you what I think is initially going to sound like a cliche, but I think is an impossibly substantial reason why I still believe, why I still believe in God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all of it, but also why I actually feel, feel held by that belief even more than I feel like I hold that belief. I feel like it, it holds me. And the answer, you ready for this? Is love. Like, okay, saw that coming a mile away, pal. Uh, but I just want to say, let me get my cards on the table. I think that um, this is a, a fundamental part of God's nature. I, and I want you to consider what would this mean about the world. But I think that love is a fundamental uh, part of God's nature, that you can't understand or describe or fathom God without, without grasping that love is at the very center of God's being. That I think love, yeah, amen. Come on, let's go. You feed back if you want to, because I want you to. Let's do this. Um, I think it's essential Love is essential to the fabulous vibrancy of creation. When you can't name what makes you stand in awe of what's out there, I think throbbing behind that immaculate beauty is love. Um, I, I think it's ultimately why, why God grieves and is working to eradicate evil in the world is love. I think love is at the heart of the gospel, the heart of our redemption into the family of God. I think for all of us, every one of you, it is meant to be a primary part of the calling of your life. I think, uh, as the scriptures say, that it's longer and higher and deeper and wider than you could possibly fathom. Um, I think it is also as real and tangible as an embrace or a cup of cold water. Sometimes when I'm preparing sermons about it, I feel like I've got one of the flimsy 12-ounce Poland spring bottles, and I'm trying to describe Niagara Falls to you. I'm going to give you Frederick Beekner because I agree with this sentiment. I believe that no matter how tedious, unimaginative, banal, unconvincing, and seemingly irrelevant the church's proclamation of the mystery of a loving God often is, or how cheapened, flamboyant, phony, if you happen to watch some of the religious vaudeville available on American TV, that, the, 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 that mystery is as much a part of reality as the air we breathe. The mystery of this loving God and the life he calls us into is as essential to reality as the air we breathe. It's the third piece of the three essential parts of our church's vision, presence, formation, and love. We want to be with God. We... and. and we say this with humility, we want to become like God, actually not in, in divinity, but in character, that God would form us to be like Jesus. We believe there is a way of Jesus that we get invited into, and we can walk this relational process of transformation that's called discipleship, so that our character and all the uniqueness of the image of God that God has made us in comes to reflect what Jesus is actually like in the real details of your life, your workplace, your relationships, the specific details of your life, Jesus Jesus is alive there through you. We're being with God, we're becoming like Jesus, and we're living lives of enduring love in action. That's our vision as, as a church. 
I was talking to a friend this week from another city, someone I've known for over a decade, and he's just been through an absolutely brutal couple of years. His wife of 17 years came to a place where her beliefs began to change, and that couple with the challenges they were facing in their marriage were too much. And in the middle of a marriage counseling session, she said, I'm not going on. It's over. I want a divorce. Four days later, he lost his job and his career of 20 years in a way that, at least in part, felt like a betrayal. And he told me about starting over and not having the energy for it. He told me about praying and wondering if prayer really works and still doing it anyway. Um, But he also told me about the love of Jesus and being held by that love. And though our experiences weren't the same, I could really relate to how he described being held by the love of God. And I was moved by the faith in his words because they came with this weight of experience. And I thought, it's one thing for me to lift my hands and sing praise when things are going, you know, okay or relatively well or, you know, nothing's falling apart. But when it's like I'm sleeping on a mattress so my kids who visit me twice a week have a place to sleep in my apartment because everything in my life is starting over and I'm talking about being held by the love of Jesus. That's something else. Separate from his story, it also just got me thinking, this conversation, our world seems to have very little idea of the consequences of its brutality. I think many of us have no idea what the cancel of another person actually does to our souls. Never mind what it does to try to exclude them from the beloved community. What it does to our soul. And listen, I'm not saying that there aren't reasons why we need to have hard conversations and sometimes separate people from our lives. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying, are we shaped by love? Are we being guided by love? I heard a Christian philosopher this week that I, that I respect respond to this question. Why is there something instead of nothing? You just think about that in your, in your head for just a second. No one can hear your answer, so try out whatever you want. Why is there something instead of nothing? And he said... I know this sounds cliche, but I've staked my life on the answer, and the answer to why there's something instead of nothing is love, (laughs) is love. There's something instead of nothing because of love, because the being, let's go there together for a second, the being that preceded everything we see 
wasn't a solo being of static power, but a being of love. And this does blow our minds and shatter our categories a little bit, but this being is somehow a family, a spirit, a being of joy, a being of of sharing. We say Trinity because our language can't actually fully encompass the reality, so we give God like a hundred different names, or or those are revealed in the scriptures because we can't actually get at the fullness of what we're trying to describe. But there's something instead of nothing because this being said, I'm going to overflow in joyous sharing because I need people in on this. And at the cellular level of creation, when you get microscopic, what you see is the power of revolving around the other. At the planetary level of our universe, what you see is the power of revolving around the other. And in the very being of God is this power of moving around and revolving around and lifting up and deferring to and exalting the other. In the center of God's very being is not just static power, it's love. And that is the best news possible for our universe and for your, the particularities of your life. The world is here because of love, and love is not just a feeling or a force, but a person. Love is a person. That's the insistence of the Christian story. Love is a person. 1 John 4 says really succinctly, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So, I know we've already kind of done this as a summary, but just hear this again. God pours out love in the vibrancy of creation. Creation reflects the goodness, the glory, the beauty, the love of God. But also, he offers us this love as a way of life. In the beginning of Torah, the beginning of Genesis, is a story about God offering this way of life as, as the very context our lives is gonna, are going to play out in. But he also puts in there the opportunity for that love to be chosen or rejected. And that's really important. And so we do choose against love and we choose power, all, all sorts of other things that we believe might satisfy our soul. And so the world gets mangled and we get mangled because we choose against the, the love this, this being Trinity has, is putting out to us. And God says, okay, I made the world by love. I'm going to repair the world by love because the mangling ripples out through all of, of, of creation. And at every level of relationship, we, we see its effects. So God says, I made the world by love. I'm going to repair it by love. And he begins a covenant with Israel. So Genesis you know, 12, there's the calling of one, one person. Will you follow me? That person becomes a family. That family becomes a nation. That nation becomes this community God is working with to repair the world through covenant love. And the whole story gets played out. But eventually, God, he hints at this in every covenant, but he says, I'm going to come and be the fulfillment of the repair of my world through Love And so he comes in person, in the person of Jesus, to fulfill the covenants, to bring redemption and repair. And so Jesus' cousin like sort of cries out, almost like it's just dawning on him. <laughs> but to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this movement of grace in the gospel begins to spill the banks of one nation to the entire world through covenant love. 
So this is what we celebrate. This is the meal we eat. Jesus lives and dies and raises in love to heal the world. How? By healing us, making us family, getting us in on the way of God's love. It says, if a summary of it in Romans 5 is that he, he, his love is shed abroad in our hearts. He pours out his love on us by the Holy Spirit. And that's why right before he goes to the cross... This is what he tells his closest friends. Now, this place is so beautiful, and the sunlight is streaming in, and the mahogany, and just like the stained glass. It is such a peaceful place, and I, so I feel like you guys might be just missing a touch of the electricity of what Jesus is saying here. But I want to read it again, and I want you to comprehend what it means for God himself in human form to be talking to his closest friends right before he goes to do this act of repairing the world on the cross through his death and resurrection, for him to say, this is what, how you live in love. Here's how you do it. Here's what it looks like. I've been about this from the very beginning. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I'm so uh, suspicious of my own heart that I'm not letting this amaze me the way that it should. Listen to this. About to die for his friends, about to come back as the beginning of a new world, and on the way he says, listen, you have to get in on this love. Now, what would you imagine Jesus was going to fill in this sentence? If you love me, fill in the blank. Feel really strongly affirming feelings towards me, please. Sing at least once a week with a group to me, please. Get a list of ideas about me in your head and then make sure everyone else has those same ideas. Get on it. What does he say? What does he say? How do you do this? How do you live the life? Do the th- he says, do the things I've been telling you. Keep my commands. Obey my commandments. And, and you guys are tracking with me r- right now, but I want to tell you, when I initially hear that, if you love me, keep my commands, I don't feel wonderful about that. I actually feel kind of skeptical and suspicious So I knew that this must have been about power. I knew it. You're saying it's about love, but you're like, I got to do what you say? Huh. Or I say, I'm suspicious of my own ability. I've tried to obey the things you say. I'm not any good at it. I regularly fall on my face trying to obey. And then Jesus blows our minds when he says, remember what my commandment is? Love. You want to love me? Keep my commandment. What's your commandment? Love. What? What are you doing? Let me give you a breakdown of the things that Jesus commands in about 45 seconds. One, first thing he says when he shows up on the scene is repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Basically like something's happening here. Reorient your whole life around the reality that's breaking into history through through this person right in front of you. I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to demonstrate it. And it's worth you reorienting everything in your life, every priority around this in-breaking kingdom. That's part one. 
Part two is he says, let me show you what this way of love, this way of kingdom, this way of life looks like in the practical details of your community. And so what does he give you? The Sermon on the Mount. And if you read Matthew 5 through 7, what you get is the way of love worked out in the tedious, difficult, intimate details of real relationships. I was taught that the Sermon on the Mount was just to show us how much we needed Jesus, and once we got that, we could ignore it, but that's not what Jesus says about it. (laughs) Then he says, let me pull the whole thing together for you. Some lawyers try to trick him, and he says, let me give you the whole thing. Let me summarize Torah. Let me summarize kingdom. Let me summarize God's heart for humanity. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want you in on my life. We know from John 17 that he wants us in on whatever that mysterious Trinity community was before the foundations of the world. I want you in on it all the way, family forever, new name, new inheritance, life forever. I want you to love me, and here's how you love me. Keep my commandments, and my commandments are love. And I'm like, that's beautiful. Jesus, you got me. Came around in a circle behind me. I was looking for you, and you tapped me on the shoulder. Amazing. But if you try this for about 24 hours, my guess is you're going to (laughs) fail. You're going to get irritated. You're going to shout at a child. You're going to like, you know, like, you know, scream. Your road rage is going to kick in. Somebody's going to come down the bike lane on a Revel scooter and nearly kill you. And you're just going to lose it. And you're going to be like, I'm not loving anyone. So that's why the next thing Jesus says is absolutely crucial. Honestly, I want to tell you, church, if this sermon ended with, if you love me, keep my commandments, I don't think that's terribly fantastic news because I don't think any one of us are going to be able to do it in a sustained way. And yet he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to do what? To help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So he's not saying, I want you to get out there by your willpower and your good intentions and your inspiration. I want you to scroll through Twitter and see all the things you're not doing, and then get out there and go do it, because that's how you love me. He's saying, no, I'm going to fill you with my very life. My spirit is going to mingle with your spirit in a real way, in a cellular way, in a way you can feel and experience, in a way that can change your motivations, in a way that can enlighten your understanding, in a way that you can give you an imprint. Oh, this person needs love in this way right now. I'm actually sensing, God, your way of being in the world, your way of seeing people in the world. I'm not doing this by myself. He gives you the spirit of life, the spirit of truth, the advocate the one who has an entirely different way than the way of the world. And he says, we'll live with you and in you. That's Jesus hinting at the answer to his own prayer in John 17, that you and I would be with him in the way that Trinity was together before there was anything. And that wild, creative dance, overflow, vibrancy, teeming abundance that spills out into creation because God's like, I got to share. That we have a share in that trinity, that family forever. So where are we at, church? You come into the family and this spirit mingles with your spirit. I think they turned me down because I was shouting and that's a good move. I appreciate that. Jesus says, join me in love. 
And when you fail at love as you're going to, I want you to look back at the cross, my death and resurrection and my forgiveness available to you. Nothing can snatch you out of my hand. Nothing can revoke the, 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 the love of the gospel that I poured out. Not, nothing can separate you. Nothing can condemn you. Nothing, your ability to condemn yourself in shame is not more powerful than my blood shed for you. You're not better at sinning than I am at redeeming. So when you fail at love, my death and resurrection is your forgiveness. And when you need help to love, my spirit that has been won for you when the veil was torn, when I was on the cross and it was finished, my spirit now dwells in your life like a temple, mingles with your spirit and helps you love. So you can live a life of love just as Christ showed us, not by, by pride or willpower, but by grace and acceptance. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. What's my teaching? To love. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. They'll go their own way. They'll put something else at the center. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus is like, this incredible thing that I'm laying out for you, I received it. Son of God, humble. I received this from my Father. And the Father's like, I, look, listen to my son. Like They're moving around, deferring to one another, revolving. It's like, what? There was a man sitting there who wrote this, who, who experienced this teaching. And, and years later in his life, he was like a grandfather in the church. And this is what he said, and you've already heard it hinted at. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Church, hear this. But perfect love drives out fear. And I want to tell you, if you're experiencing fear and anxiety, it doesn't mean that God's love isn't perfect or isn't directed towards you. It just means that we have to practice. This is something we have to grow in. The, the absence of our experience doesn't change the reality of this, and we can move into it together, linking arms. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. God shows us this love in creation. God brings us into this love in redemption. And God calls us to love through participation. There is a unique part for you to play in this story, and it is shaped absolutely by love. There's an illustration that is a little bit cheesy, but I've actually experienced this in the natural world, and um, it, it really rings home with me. The Sea of Galilee, which a bunch of scenes in the New Testament play out on, is teeming with life. There's a big fishing business the disciples are about on the Sea of Galilee. Um, the, you know, Some storms, Jesus takes a nap there, but it has an inflow and an outflow, and life teems in the Sea of Galilee. If you go just down the Jordan River to another body of water called the Dead Sea, 
It has an inflow, but it has no outflow, and no life lives there. You cannot sustain life in the Dead Sea. You can float on it. It's like a couch. Amazing. But no life can be sustained in the Dead Sea. It's such a picture of the truth of the human spirit. Your life must have an outflow of love in action. Our church must have an outflow of love in action. We cannot just take in what we receive and hold it for ourselves. There must be an outflow of love in action. That's how we participate in what God is up to in the world. That's how we join God in the renewal of all things. Freely we have received, freely we must give. God's not asking you to give away something that you haven't received, but he's saying, I'm giving you abundance. What are you giving away? For many of us, the life we're deeping, deeply, deeply longing for is actually found in giving ourselves away. It's found in love. You recognize those screams. Some of those belong to me. I, I know my child has resorted to violence now, and that's because they're not listening to this sermon about love. Church, we're, we're wrapping up three weeks of our central vision as a church. I'm going to tell you this. Presence, formation, and love absolutely go together. The vision of God for your life is that you live with God. Not that you do things for God over here and God nods in approval. It's that you do or, or disapproval. It's that you live with God. That you become like God, like Jesus in your very character. And then you live this way of love, this outflow. And if you don't feel very good, at living a life of love with God, guess what? You can practice. That's what we're here to do together is practice this way of life. And so I say, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too exhausted. You don't know what these last few years have been like. I'm bearing too much. I'm in grief. I'm in stress. I can't serve someone else. And listen, I want to tell you this. Our God is a God of Sabbath. I'm not talking about performing in order to get love. I'm talking about sharing the love that you already have, seeing this inflow, outflow reality, this inhale, exhale reality. But some of you, I want to tell you this prophetically, <laughs> some of you are going to find the refreshment, the joy, the replenishment, the peace, the connection, the purpose that you've been desperate for showing up when you love and when you serve others. Our world tells us all the time, it's like one of the main things it tells us in order to sell us things is that we have to indulge ourselves and express ourselves and protect ourselves. And there is a place for those things. I'm not saying there isn't. But God keeps holding up this truth that you can risk pouring yourself out in love because he's never going to stop replenishing and refilling. And that cycle is actually how we become the most free in the world. We're closing I promise. I want to give you one of my favorite exchanges in, in the Gospels between Jesus and his disciples, and it's in John 4. We're not going to look at the story in a lot of detail, but here's the exchange. You might have heard it. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. If you look at the story, in the beginning of it, Jesus is absolutely exhausted. And so his disciples say, hey, rest, pal. 
rest here, rabbi. We'll go get you some food in the town and come back. While they're gone, he has this encounter with this woman at the well whose life is going through a bunch of turmoil. And her life ends up being changed by the love of Jesus in this moment. And, and so um, whatever happens to him, when they come back, he turns down the lunch. And if I'm a disciple, I'm a little bit, you know, like, what's going on here? So he says to them, something has filled me up that you don't know about. I know I sent you guys to get lunch, but I've been nourished while you've been away. And I'm not saying that this story says we shouldn't rest. Jesus is resting. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have lunch almost every single day. I'm saying that the God who made your soul knows how to refresh your soul. And sometimes that comes in ways that are unexpected to our world because it comes in, in love. It comes in an outflow. Love is a massive part of how our souls are restored. And so I want to tell you this. Not just because we need it to, to live this life together, but you need to serve, you need to serve in this church, maybe in the kids' ministry. I mean, the things are going on up there right now. You hear this. Maybe in the student ministry. Maybe you need to just you know, drift over to the park today and introduce yourself to the youth team. Whatever it is, come and set up a chair. Come and meet us in pre-service prayer. Lead a, lead a group. You know, c- come with us and serve at Camp Friendship. Find some way that you can link arms with this community and say, I want to build this house because I believe that God has a unique plan for how to use the church as an outpost of the kingdom of God in the world. It's how he displays his love and kindness in a particular way. It's how people come to know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Some of you need to serve, and I know you're exhausted. I know you're tired, and that's fine, but some of you need to serve anyway. Love and action is vital to our life. And I want to tell you this, not just in the house. We have to serve in the street. We have to serve in the city. And not just because our neighbors need it either. It's because your soul needs it. Love and action is vital to our life. Well, listen, just as we have each week of this vision series, we have a landing page on the, on the site. It doesn't have everything, <laughs> But it's got a bunch of opportunities to connect with the heart of this in our church, why we live a life of love and action, how we're trying to do that. It, it, it unpacks ways you can serve in the church and in the city. Um, there are the, Right now, our, some of our deacons have been working on an opportunity. When a need comes up in our neighborhood, we can send out like the service bat signal. And if you're like, hey, I got a couple of hours on Wednesday, I can go serve this need or, 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 or clean this up or help in this way, that we're going to have some immediate need response sort of like team that can jump in on things. But there's, there's, I'm thinking about Roots Cafe. There's centers of service in our neighborhood that you can connect with. And if you have even an inkling of desire to serve with one of our partners, Pray March Act or, or, or anything going on in, in Young Life, like we want to be an, a church that is flowing out in love to our city, in justice, in mercy, in kindness, in generosity. Presence, formation, and love. As the pastor of this church, I'm calling myself to a renewed commitment to this in every aspect of my life. I'm asking you as a church community, as a family, to make a renewed commitment to seek God's presence daily. Don't go out there trying to do this by yourself. Seek God's presence daily. Commit to a process of growth by obeying the things Jesus has taught us. And don't do that alone. Find a group that you can grow with that will know you 
and then find a place to serve, a place to put love in action. My heart is that for each of us, there would be some place in the church that you know you're making a significant contribution, and there would be some place in the city, on the street, with our neighbors that you're making a significant contribution in regular service. This is a faith that can stand being taken apart because when you take it apart, at the heart of it is love. And I think the heart of our world is is love because the heart of God is love. On the way here, I was praying and the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart that, that passage from Romans 5 that he has poured out into our hearts his love through the Holy Spirit. I'm I want to pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would pour out, you would shed abroad in our hearts the love of Jesus by the Spirit, God. You would awaken us to possibility, to creativity. God, there's, there's planned, um, you know, strategic service and there's spontaneous, immediate love response. All of it is necessary. All of it is needed. God, show us our place, God. Lord, sometimes I feel like the world doesn't have enough wisdom to put the difficulty of our life in context. Our suffering or the suffering of our neighbor, but but your word says, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God, would you show us what it is to to revel, to bask, to delight in your love, and then to pour that love out. May we give freely what we have received. We come to worship you now, but also in the reality of our hearts and lives to renew our commitment to a life of love and action. Do this in our midst right now. Prompt your people by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.